I think negotiating is kind of learning about yourself, but also learning about other people. There's no one hat fits all. And you kind of have to feel the moment and understand like what your goal is and also be willing to compromise and not necessarily have everything your way, no matter how badly you, you need it to go that way. And just understand people's motives behind it. And sometimes by doing that, you can both reach your goal with an alternative that you didn't see was there in the first place. I think it's also really important to note that you don't have to be somebody that's been in the industry for 20 years to have these relationships. That you can literally be coming out of the gate, coming out of school, and start building those relationships now and start treating your subcontractors fairly right now. Welcome to this episode of Space to Build, the podcast that celebrates the voices of hardworking women in construction. In each episode, we discuss a career in construction and explore the skills needed to build holistic success sooner rather than later as an emerging construction professional. Hey, it's Catherine, your host. I started Space to Build in January of 2020 while I was a superintendent for a general contractor. For years, I craved community and a means to connect with women who felt isolated in the industry. Since November of 2020, our stories have been shared in over 200 cities across the globe. These experiences have brought new ideas to the table for both women and men in the industry. Now, two years later, I have stepped back from my role in operations and worked full-time to bring these stories to you. Today, we're chatting with my friend Manuela Avelkin, a civil engineer and project manager in New York City. We chat about why she gave up her dream of becoming an architect, her not-so-typical day-to-day in the field and office as a project manager, and the value of being in both places in any given day. She also gifts us with three tips for negotiating your next offer and a bonus tip for navigating change orders. You ready? Today we've got Manuela here with us to talk about negotiating. But before we dive into that, let's get to know who she is. So Manuela, who are you as a human being? Oh, diving right in. Okay. So I'm a determined person, very enthusiastic. Recently, some of my friends have been describing me as funny. I never saw myself that way before. Another description of Garden is warm. So I'm a very warm person. I think that's a little bit culturally as well. And a construction fanatic in love with architecture, design, and for anyone that knows me personally, I'm a chocolate freak. Love that. So culturally speaking, do you mind sharing a little bit more about that? Oh, I'm Brazilian. So I feel like Brazilian culture is very like warm and outgoing. We're very talkative and loud and all that. So how did you end up in construction? So I started university for civil engineering and I always loved like design, architecture, and I always loved the finished product. That's always what had my passion. I went to school for civil engineering. When I was in the in-school, I hated anything design related. I couldn't find myself in it. It just felt like very difficult for me to understand and grasp the concept like as a concept. So I got involved with a lot of the clubs that the school had. So I got involved with Concord Mm -hmm. Canoe, Steel Bridge, and like all these organizations. And then in those clubs, I understood everything that I was learning in class. I started seeing it together. And I was like, okay, this is starting to make sense. I get it now. And then from there, basically, we had two career paths. When everybody was graduating, we're like discussing, like, what are you going to do? This and that. Or actually, even before that, in the internships, we were talking about what kind of internship you're going to get like between our friends. And then the two options were you're going to either go into design, so you're going to work for an engineering firm, 
and review shop drawings and learn how things get put together and just design them, use the softwares that we've been learning in school, mm-hmm. or you were going to go into construction and work for a general contractor. So I knew for a fact the first one wasn't for me. So I was like, <laughs> okay, give it a shot on the second one. And then I think like personality wise, I kind of fit right in. So that worked out pretty well. And then from there, so I worked for like a general contractor and that's how I, that's where I am now. So did you go to school in the States or in Brazil? So for college, I went here. I was in New York. Gotcha. So you had mentioned that you love architecture. Did you ever consider going down that career path? I did. That was what I always knew I was going to do for my whole life. Like if anyone asked me, it was always like, I'm going to go into architecture. But the year that I was applying, I remember talking to like an uncle of mine and he was basically bringing up the point of like, architecture is great, but what if you do engineering and then you become an architect because that way you don't need an engineer and you can kind of do both. So all that did is make me think of like, let me give this a try. Let me do what's at that point in my eyes harder at first. Engineering seemed like harder. So let me do that first. And then if I want to jump into architecture with that, then I couldn't do that. Getting into college, I've learned that architecture is not me. I could not fit in. It's very difficult on its own. And it's just not something that I could see myself doing. So for people listening, she used air quotes when she was explaining that engineering was quote unquote harder. But yeah, I kind of felt like I was in that same path where I knew for a fact that engineering was completely off the table, but loved the idea of becoming an architect. And I thought that was like the right fit too. So it's funny to hear how other people kind of go that same direction and ultimately start shifting into construction. Because I think it was the same way. Like I just didn't feel like I belonged in architecture. The skill sets that you need to be a good architect just aren't in my wheelhouse, nor do I care for them to be in my wheelhouse. Yeah, totally relate to that. Yeah. There's just something so much cooler about seeing the project come to life based off the drawings that somebody's put a lot of work into. It's like, I am weird. I love the smell of like wood studs and things oh, like that. Oh, me too. That. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yes. I've, I've always thinking about doing like a reels of like things you love about construction. And then I wrote like the smell of wood. And I'm like, that's weird. People are just, no, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> I recently was chatting with a couple of other women in construction, and we went on a whole tirade about the lumber section at Home Depot and how much we love the smell of it. So you are not alone. (laughs) Makes me feel better. (laughs) So what is your current role in construction? Right now, I'm a project manager for a developer in the city. What does a quote unquote normal day look like for you? So they're all very different. I think that's what you probably get everybody mm-hmm. in those Russia will tell you. No day is like another. And that's one of the huge things that we love about it. So let me just pick a random day and go with it. I'll start my day in the office. I'll kind of catch up a little bit on emails. Um, I'll see what needs to be done that day. Then I'll head to my job sites. I have like different jobs across the city. So I'll head to those. I'll take a look at what's, you know, how things are going over there, do a supervision of overall construction activities. And usually by doing that right in the morning, it will give me a very good understanding of what needs to happen next. A lot of times if I'm planning for a project, I'll sit in the office and I'll try to come up with a list and I'll struggle. But if I'll go to the field, like, 30 things will come up that I didn't even think of before. So I always try to do a mix of both of being in the office and being in the field. I love that. That's such a proactive way to tackle project management because where I am, what we see a lot of is that there's project managers who maybe set foot every one to two weeks 
but purely for a meeting. So they're maybe walking the job site for like, I've been on job sites for five or 10 minutes with an architect and a PM. (laughs) And it's like, they answer one question and then they're gone. But it's like, no, there's a backlog of questions. Please don't leave, come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, that's something that I've really always respected about you because you will actually go and share those experiences of like what it's like walking the job site on Instagram. And I love knowing that there's project managers out there who prioritize that. Did you have somebody that explained that to you? Or is that something that you just naturally started doing yourself? So I appreciate the the comment, but I think one of the, one of the reasons that I do this also is I mentioned before I did like an internship during college. So my first internship was actually at a very big company in New York. And when I was working for a bigger company, I understood that there's just so many people that the project, the bigger projects basically get subdivided. So I was, you know, in charge of like IT rooms and bathrooms. That was like a category. So I instantly picked up that I didn't want to be in a project that was so big because I, if I were in a smaller project, I'd basically be dealing with, you know, not only the IT room and the bathroom, but every other aspect of that project as well. And usually smaller companies are understaffed, which means that we wear multiple hats and that's what I wanted. So I think that had to do with a huge thing of my growth and understanding of construction because I chose to work for those smaller outfits and get an understanding of everything much quicker, like just being thrown to the fire instead of, you know, learning like one thing at a time and going through those rotations that a lot of the companies give you in the start. I love that you've had that experience too. You've kind of created that for yourself. Do you still work for a small company now? I still do. Yes. Okay. So you're still wearing the multiple hats. Exactly. So I'm in the field every day because I, not only because as a project manager sitting in the office, that's helpful, but also because like I need to be. Mm-hmm. So at a smaller company, you're managing everything. I'm managing, like I don't have an assistant PM or a super that works with a company that I that I work for. So yeah. as a developer, I'm the project manager and I'm in charge of these projects. So I'll hire the general contractor or the construction manager and everything from that point is my responsibility. Awesome. So that is a lot that makes sense though. One of the reasons that I wanted you to be on this podcast is because of what you share on on social media. You kind of dive into your superpower of educating other people about how to approach project management from a construction perspective. So you're like the best because you pointed that out to me right at the beginning. And I was like, okay, maybe this is my superpower. I'm just like going <laughs> along with it. It's like, I learned something new about myself. It's funny how over time, like people will describe you in a certain way that you didn't see. That's why I also mentioned it's funny in the beginning. I didn't see myself that way, but when someone describes it, then like it's something that you start noticing more. So I think Mm -hmm. ever since you mentioned it, I also am like, okay, I can like put more into this. Mm -hmm. And you've like, (laughs) yeah, you've taken off in that direction. I'm like super excited to see it because you talk about just how to tackle a punch list and you make it fun and interactive on social media because punch list for a lot of people is no fun, but you make it fun. (laughs) <laughs> and then you go into requisitions, which is a beast in itself. And you talk about contracts. And so one of the reasons I very specifically wanted you on this episode was because of negotiating, because you've got some experience negotiating contracts and change orders and negotiating job opportunities. So I wanted to dive into why negotiating is your jam. Like, what do you like about it? Okay. I love everything about it. I think negotiating is 
kind of learning about yourself, but also learning about other people. There's no one hat fits all. And you kind of have to feel the moment and understand like what your goal is and also be willing to compromise and not necessarily have everything your way, no matter how badly you, you need it to go that way. And just understand people's motives behind it. And sometimes by doing that, you can both reach your goal with an alternative that you didn't see was there in the first place. That's a kind of like a little bit of the gist of why I enjoy negotiating. And in construction, you deal with such difficult personalities, right? You deal with the, the guy who's been doing it for 50 years and says, I've been doing it 40 years this way. You're not, you're not going to change the way that I'm doing this. And then you deal with the newcomers also who think they know better. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just tough. There, there's, a, there's a lot to it. So it's, so it's interesting. It's definitely like an interesting seat to kind of navigate. What are some like action items that we can start taking now to help train ourselves to be better negotiators when it comes to, say, a job offer that's on the table? I think a skill that I've used or that I've learned to use that I didn't have before is to pause when talking and to not be the one that talks the most in the room. So I think it's very important when you're negotiating salary to not have the need to fill up that space, right? There's going to be the blank space, meaning you're going to come to the job interview. They're going to ask you at the end, how much do you want? And you're going to say, I don't know, I'm going to throw a number like 60,000. And when they don't answer right away, yes or no, we feel uncomfortable, right? So we want to fill that space. We're like, okay, 55 is fine. But learning to just sit in that uncomfortableness has really helped me just be 60,000, Everyone's in silence in the room. Yes, this is awkward. Let's hold it up and just leave that, let that silence be. Because a lot of times the other party will break it first and they will give you a counter offer. And that's kind of what you want. Mm-hmm. Do you find that people tend to meet you closer to your actual offer when they give you the counter offer? Or have you been in situations where they come really low and it's not what you want at all? No, most of my situations have been where they come close to it. And I've been able to negotiate maybe with something else. So another good thing about negotiating is we may want 60, right? And then they come back with 55. You also have to know what else is important to you in that scenario. Do you want more days off? Do you want overtime? You know, there's specific things that you can throw in in that moment, or do you want a bonus? So there's other things that you should have like on your back pocket of what matters to you. So you may not get the 60, but you're going to get 55 and a $10,000 bonus at the end of the year, which is something you didn't expect. Let's say you came into the meeting, you didn't expect that because you thought Mm -hmm. it was just the 50 or the 60. So those things are, are the reason that I think are good to not speak so much and learn what the other party has to offer and just be open to reshifting that thing that you thought you wanted 100% and you're not compromising on. And that makes sense. That makes me think of an interview I did where I threw out a number that I thought was really high. And we have that awkward pause where he had to think about it for a second. And I was like, oh God, did I go too high? Like, oh no. And next thing I know, he goes, Sure, we can do that. And then we're also going to give you this, this, and this. And I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm glad yeah. I didn't like step back on myself and say, never mind. No, 100%. There's, that's a huge thing also to like, with that pause, you will know whether you're low or high, right? Because they're going to come back to you with something. Yeah. That teaches and, that. Th- and also, sometimes it's also good not to be the one to give the number first, because then you understand mm-hmm. what the market is. I love that too. Yeah. And doing that research ahead of time. So you actually know your value, because I think a lot of people tend to undershoot themselves. And I've worked with people who make half of what I make, but they're doing 
a lot of work and they should be getting paid a whole lot more. So one thing that I think it's very important with any negotiation, whether it's salary or change orders or contracts, anything, at the end of the day, everyone involved in that negotiation needs to feel like they're being treated fairly. Because mm-hmm. if you've got a job and you feel like you're getting underpaid, just a feeling like this is unfair and then you take the job because you needed it mm-hmm. and you start working, that feeling of being treated unfair, you're, it's, it doesn't work, right? It's not something that you can go forward with. So when negotiating change orders or when getting pricing for things, one of the questions that I always use, it's always, do you think 55 is a fair number? And then I'll hear back what the other party will say. That's also like very useful to get a feeling for the room and to make sure that he's happy and you're happy in the end. I think that's smart. It really helps build trust and that relationship so that it's easier to go forward on a job. And next time a change order comes up, they're not going, okay, I have to pad this change order because Manuel is going to screw me over. Because exactly. I see a lot of that. And it's really obvious when you're looking at a change order, if someone's trying to play with you like that. A hundred percent. Because it's all about reputation also, right? If I build a reputation that every time somebody presents me a price, I'm like, hey, can you give me a discount? That word goes around. Next mm-hmm. person's going to know Manuela always asks for a discount. So they're going to boost up their price, just like you said. So it's very important to also like maintain your reputation because construction is very like small. It's a big mm-hmm. industry, but it's small. The word, <laughs> word travels fast. Everyone knows each other. And their reputation really is goes with you forever. Yes. <laughs> yes. Other than checking in with the subcontractor or the GC, what other tactics do you use when you're negotiating for a change order, for example? I think I have I have a reels that I did before. You don't ask for a discount, you ask for the basis of the price. So a lot of times if there's a change order that somebody BSed you on, so they tackle like 20 grand or 30 grand, whatever it is, or they have no idea why they charge you a certain amount, you instead of calling and being like, hey, this is too high, this makes no sense, or like accusing someone, can just call and be like, hi, like, I, I don't understand your price for this, you know, repair of this wall. Can you please explain it to me? And when I've come across it so many times, when I've asked that question and put myself in this position of, I don't understand, can you please explain it to me? The person will be like, oh, wait, something's wrong. It's 10 grand less, actually. I've seen it done where the person gets very uncomfortable and they're like, oops, she caught me. And I've also seen it done where it's like, oh, I generally like somebody made a mistake here. And, you know, this is actually the new number that it should be. So it's I've kind of seen both. So I think that's a good one, especially now with also prices going up and down. It's a good yes. one to just have because prices have been changing a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like check in with your subs, make sure that they're doing OK, too. I was recently in the glass industry and. We had a lot of storefront metal, like just the prices were absurd. I think within less than a year, we had up to 50% price increases. Oh my God. Yeah. So then people would get a little upset. They're like, why are your prices so high? It's like, we're not trying to screw you over. If you need proof, we've got it. We're happy to have a discussion about it. But it's so hard for everybody across the board. Yeah. And it's what it is, right? So I think that goes back to being treated fairly. Like if I have a subcontractor who's doing the work that you do and they give me a price and I try to squeeze and squeeze and squeeze it and in the end, you guys are not making money, then you're not being treated fairly. You're not going to take me again as a client. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're probably going to not do that good of a job because you know something's yeah. going to get screwed up here or there. So it, it doesn't work to do it that way. That's, I think it's very important that every party feels treated fairly in the end for that reason. And to build those relationships. 
I much rather have that glass contractor that I can call at any time than, you know, three guys who hate me. <laughs> yeah, because we're be like, okay, we'll order whatever you need. When do you need it? So I will get it there tomorrow and you're taken care of. Yeah, exactly. And I know people in the industry that they, they've done business with each other for so long that they work just on each other's word. You know, there's, mm-hmm. you don't need invoices and contracts. Like if you've gotten to that point where you've known this business partner that you've worked with for so long, that's possible. And a lot of times it saves time and it saves a lot of money because it just moves so much quicker. So it's very important to build those relationships and to have that. And that's coming very handy for me as well. When I'm bidding out a new job or going to see a new property, like two days ago or yesterday, I was going to see a new development and all their floors were messed up. And the client's asking me, should we replace everything? Should we resand this? It's like a manufacturing space. You know, what should I do with this? I'm like, it doesn't make sense for you to invest money to redo the floor. But I don't know how this can be repaired because it looks pretty messed up. So give me a second. Let me call that sub of mine, the, the wood flooring guy, who I have a good relationship with. And let me get his input before, you know, before you buy the property, before we move forward with this, just that we get an understanding of where we're going to be. So mm-hmm. those relationships come in, in handy and they pay themselves off so much more mm-hmm. than that 10% discount you get in the beginning. It's not worth it. Yeah. The longevity of a good relationship and having an expert that you can call, I think is probably one of my favorite things. One of those things I miss about being in this field. And I think it's also really important to note that you don't have to be somebody that's been in the industry for 20 years to have these relationships that you can literally be coming out of the gate, coming out of school and start building those relationships now and start treating your subcontractors fairly right now so that you have like those lifelong connections and just eventually potentially friends that you can just reach out to 20 years down the road. And you're like, I don't understand this. Please help. <laughs> no, hundred percent. It's very important to have that. Yeah. So we're going to shift gears here and jump into some rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Pepsi, Coke, or cheer wine? Coke. You sure? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you had this look on your face. Pro- yeah, yeah, Because <laughs> I don't know what the last one was. <laughs> I don't drink soda. <laughs> That's also fair too. That's something I drink a lot of. <laughs> you should definitely go look it up. I actually prefer cheer wine over Pepsi and Coke. Fast food place, like I always reach for the cheer wine. Favorite shoes to, or boots to wear to work? Oh, I'm bad at this. I'm a bad example for this. I have my construction boots on site and they are a Timberland. No, they're not. They're Red Wings. They're Red Wings. Ooh. And those are very comfortable. I like that. Okay. But I never wear them to, to the site because I keep them there. So I'm always wearing Dr. Martens. <laughs> Do you at least switch them? Like, Yeah, I switch them when I get there. But when you ask me like favorite boots, I'm like Dr. Martens. That's the honest answer. <laughs> <laughs> What are you currently reading or listening to? Oh, I'm currently reading Magellan, which is quite funny because when somebody recommended this book to me, I, they were like, you don't know who this is. And it kind of like threw me off completely, but he's a Portuguese explorer. And in Portuguese, his name is Magalhães. So that's how I know him. So okay. Magellan thing really threw me off. But yes, I'm reading his biography. Oh, that's pretty cool. So the very last question for today is how can our listeners connect with you? Instagram. 
Pacera.nyc. So I share, like you mentioned before, I love sharing a lot about my work. When I started in the industry, I didn't always have a mentor and I didn't have always someone to run to and ask like these questions that I thought were silly at the time were very basic that I should know. So I started this page so that someone else out there who has these silly questions uh, or starting in the industry and they don't really understand the difference between metal stud and wood stud, like anything. Just, Mm -hmm. you know, just they have a place to kind of go and ask me their silly or their very clever questions that I won't know the answer to. Love that. I will share your information in the show notes for this episode and really encourage everybody to check it out. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. I love being here and finally doing this. I know I've been (laughs) pushing this. Yeah, I think it's been, I don't know, a year and a half in the making. Yeah, something like that. (laughs) So I hope it was worth the wait. (laughs) Oh, it definitely was. (laughs) Thank you so much for being with us today. If you would like to chime in on the conversation, you can find us online at spacetobuild.co. Yes, it's .co. We are also on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter at Space to Build. When you have a moment, do you mind leaving a review for this podcast? I read your reviews at the end of the show and I'm constantly looking for improvements. Any ideas to improve your experience will be welcomed. Remember, you belong here. There's so much space for you in our industry. Well, until next time.